Robot Season 1, Episode 9, Mirroring is over, but we're just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. Here we are on Robot Road, our rewatch podcast of all things Mr. Robot Season 1, coming close to the end of the road here as we are moving toward the July 13 premiere of Season 2 of Mr. Robot. I'm Josh Wiggler, and joining me here today to just, he just wants to save the world, folks, it's Antonio Mazzaro. That's all you wanted to do. No, I want to murder. You wanted murder. It's yeah, no, wonder, now that I've The wonder it. of murder. Yeah, I feel absolute power, and i got to keep feeling that, Josh. That's how we felt after our trip to upstate New York that one time Wait, when uh, we went. Why? What? Why? Josh. No, never mind. We don't need to go to there. i do it again is what we it comes down to. <laughs> we don't need to go there at all. Antonio, how's it going? It's going okay. That's an uh, interesting way to ask me, considering this episode is a... Uh, Pretty emotional, pretty, I mean, it's a culmination of so many things. It's a confirmation of so many theories, but it's just sad. And yeah, not not an upbeat way to, I think, take your TV in, but it is uh, quite breathtaking by the end. And you, you'll definitely do find yourself asking, where is my mind? So excited to talk about this one for sure, Josh. It definitely ties into one of our other podcasts here at Post Show Recaps, The Leftovers. Uh, there are some connections there that we can get into maybe sure, in the spoiler with, section. As, as with where is my mind with that music cue exactly uh, carries between both of those obviously some fight club connotations i think we can use the fight club words at this point of the podcast yeah we can talk about fight club i think that there's i, I really do think dexter is also a very accurate comparison uh, in terms of the stuff with Harry and the stuff that happens with Dexter and keeping kind of records of what you're doing, I think that there's a lot to be said there. I think that there's a connection to a lot of different things that go on with Elliot. I don't think it's a one-for-one, like, sure. fight club pastiche or whatever. I, I think that But those who- are words that you probably want to avoid on your first pass through, Mr. Robot, or at least until you get to episode nine. And we certainly have. And we certainly have. So it's exciting that we get to talk about this stuff because, as you know, if you've been listening to these Mr. Robot podcasts and if you are also watching Mr. Robot for the first time and listening only to our spoiler-free sections, we do a spoiler-free section and a spoiler-filled section for every single podcast. And really, the spoiler-filled section has been talking a lot about this game-changing reveal that happens here in Episode 9. It's not a dirty little secret anymore. We can talk about it openly to a good degree here in our conversation about Episode Episode nine. Uh, if you have not, for some reason, seen episode nine, you should not be listening to this podcast. Certainly not any further, because we're going to drop the bomb as this episode drops the bomb that Elliot and Mister Robot, they're the same guy. Yeah, uh, they're the same guy. It's 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 a little more complicated than that. Mister Robot is a projection of Elliot's dead father. We learned last episode that Mr. Robot was Elliot's dad. We saw the pictures. We had Elliot kind of revealing that as Mr. Robot came to the apartment uh, to knock on the door. We had all these discussions and all these things that happened. We do pick up this episode right where that left off. Uh, but we realize, I think, in this episode that Mr. Robot is, is Elliot's dad and that Elliot is kind of manifesting him to talk to him for many, for many reasons, just to kind of have him around. And Angela, in fact, is even jealous of that. So it isn't just that Mr. Robot is this pure, unbridled id, uh, like a Tyler Durden Fight Club comparison. It's much deeper than that, that Mr. Robot is a projection that Elliot has created, representing these things in his life that meant a lot more to him, that he's very upset that he lost, that he wishes that he could go back and fix. And there is a lot of that that goes on in this episode, a lot of apologizing, a lot of forgiving himself, a lot of living with guilt that occurred for things that happened when he was eight years old. So it's a lot more than just 
Mr. Robot represents the, you know, the Tyler Durden angry side that wants to fight back against society and Elliot. There's a lot of sadness in this episode, and I, I can't watch this episode without being very sad for Elliot uh, and what he encounters and how it ultimately ends with the graveyard scene. You also got to be afraid of Elliot, I think. Oh, yeah. I think think you have to be afraid of the Alderson a little bit uh, because, you know, the big revelation here is yet all of that is, as you're saying, very uh, affecting, moving, touching, depressing. Uh, You really feel for Elliot in the moment of Elliot's discovery, especially, and in the aftermath of it. But now we have to recognize that. This angry, you know, Mr. Robot that we had seen at multiple points, the guy who's going to push Elliot off a ledge, the guy that's going to stick a gun in Romero's face, that's all Elliot. Elliot has that aspect to him. And so now you've got to really be afraid of some of the things that Elliot seems to be capable of. Yeah, and and where does that end? We don't really know because we have not necessarily known Elliot as this kind of person. So to think that that is something that's possible, that that's there, uh, it's it's pretty terrifying. And it's certainly, as as you can probably imagine, and the reasons for us doing this rewatch podcast, if you're now not uh, – now you're kind of getting into the spoiler section or when, you know, you're finally understanding this twist, uh, it really does change the way you view the whole season. Uh, everything that Elliot – every conversation Elliot has with Mr. Robot, whether it's Mr. Robot – on the subway train uh, or at somewhere early on in the series telling Elliot the story about his father on the subway platform, I should say, saying, my dad was a petty thief. He told me I can steal and he ended up in jail. Is that Elliot saying his dad or is it Elliot saying Mr. Robot's dad and Elliot talking about his grandfather? Stuff like that, it's hard to really draw a line around because this is Elliot talking to himself, manifesting his father. So we don't really know what a lot of these conversations are, let alone the ones like you're talking about where Mr. Robot is sort of on his own, kind of just in the wild, rumbling with other characters and getting into trouble uh that is really elliot getting into some serious stuff for sure yeah for sure so let's get into this episode a lot to chew on this really was the impetus for us doing the rewatch going into season two i think that we would have probably wanted to talk about this stuff anyway but mr robot so rewarding on a rewatch and it's been really fun tearing through it i think that people who are in their first pass through mr robot you guys i i really hope that you're encouraged to go back and rewatch some of this stuff uh it really plays very very differently when you know the twist um when you know that mr robot and elliot kind of share a body have you know it's two aspects of this guy maybe multiple aspects of this guy really fun stuff uh if you have not subscribed already to what we are doing please do so post your recaps.com slash mr robot itunes we would appreciate all of your ratings all of your reviews all of that stuff and stick around because we are going to be doing a lot going forward with mr robot season two so let's dive into this episode mirroring we begin with a version of Mr. Robot, of Elliot's father, that seems to me to actually be Elliot's father in 1994 at a store called Mr. Robot. Yeah, and we talked about this a little bit on last episode, hinted about whether this happened or where this falls in the timeline. I've put a little bit of thought into this, and I can tell you, I think it's possible that this scene is real, that this is something that actually happened. Uh, it, it's a little weird because the, the, there's a lot of discussions on this sh- on this show, on this season, about... The evil corp leak, the thing that made Mr. Robot sick, the thing that ultimately killed Elliot's uh, father and Angela's mother. 
And that probably occurred sometime in January of 1993. And so this episode with the, the kind of cold open that takes place, we can probably place that sometime in the fall of 1994 based on the movies that are playing. Uh, and we see the 1994 kind of posters all over the Mr. Robot shop. And then the ending kind of death date of Mr. Robot is February of 1995, the end of February 1995. So it is possible, I think, that he got fired from Evil Corp, got sick, he opened up this business, and then ultimately died. We do see him coughing in this scene Yeah, when Elliot is kind of in the background. Uh, we see him kind of hacking cough, and he looks sick in that regard. So it's probably likely that that's there to show that he's already been infected and this is a business that he opened up after he left Evil Corp. So that is uh, most likely a true scene, and it's a, it's a very touching scene, I think, Josh. Very touching scene where, you know, this jerk hole comes storming into the store. Jerk hole? He yeah. got robbed. <laughs> he got robbed, but he's so, he's so he angry does, He about does drop it. a hard R, doesn't you he? You know, he, dro- he drops some really bad language yeah, here, and I yeah. feel like there's got to be a... His poor nephew. There's got to be a better way of doing this, right? Like, there has to be a better way of doing this confrontation. You know, it's 40 bucks. That's a decent amount of money, obviously, but, like... You it's actually like, 20 bucks. It's only 20 bucks. He had $60. He had three 20s. He gave him a 24 one of, for a mouse. Then he only has a 20 left, which means oh, he's only missing he, $20. Got it, got it, got it. All right, so now I feel he's even less real, bad Yeah, he's a real guy. jerk. Yeah, yeah. And now I feel even, you know, this guy is a real piece of work. Uh, but he comes in. He's very angry, and he's saying, like, do the right thing here, man. I don't want to hear your spiel about the kid. I don't want to talk this through. Just give me the money back. Um, and he says, so do the right thing. And Mr. Robert goes, all right, well, then the answer is no. Uh, and I love that because I think that is the right answer. I think when yeah. you're asking him to do the right thing, Mr. Robot is doing the right thing. I don't want to call agree. him Mr. Robot anymore, by the way. He's Elliot's father. Yes. This is not Mr. Robot. Elliot's father does the right thing here. He does answer the phone and say, Mr. Robot. But, of course, yeah. that's the name of his business. And right. that's something that we discover with this scene. He does do the right thing, except he does also recommend that a customer buy a brand new computer with an 800 megabyte hard drive. So, I don't know, right thing for 1994 maybe. Uh, but yeah, he does the right thing with Elliot for sure. Yeah. And he's, he's really kind of nice about it. And he says, you know, the reason I'm, I'm nice about it is that even though what you did is wrong, you're still a good kid. Uh, and that guy was a prick. And sometimes, sometimes that, that matters, matters more. more. Yes. Yeah, I love that. Great yeah. line. Great line. Great line. And it does, I think, summarize maybe some of what Elliot's worldview is. Uh, and what we get about this, what's great about it, is that ultimately we see the the kind of credit scene uh, and we do everything we do with I – mean, I'm not going to skip this stuff. But after we get past Elliot and Mr. Robot in this episode, we have that very kind of oddly placed scene between Gideon and his partner. And we see, I think, the very human side of the actions that Elliot's taking. And so even though Elliot may think that with F Society he's doing the right thing because sometimes people are bad people and that makes a difference, uh, even the right thing has consequences. Like somebody did lose $20 in this scene, and it is a normal person. Even though he's a jerk about it, uh, Elliot did rob him for $20, and something negative happened uh, besides them seeing Pulp Fiction. So I do think that it's an interesting kind of – Are you saying that seeing Pulp Fiction was a negative? When you're eight years old and we have our main character grow up to be such a weirdo? Probably not the best thing. So I don't we know. want to blame Quentin Tarantino for Elliot's fractured personality. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, think about all those stories that <laughs> intersect and jump uh-huh. around in Pulp Fiction yeah. and that 
disjointed Very narrative timeline. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly what's happening here. And it's and, well, a funny connection. Do you I, think when Marcellus Wallace opens up the briefcase, he is looking at? Mr. Robot's soul. Yeah, oh, of course. That's yeah. definitely what it is. Didn't you notice the bandage on the back of Mr. Robot's neck, Josh? Yeah, that makes no. a lot of sense. Well, it is funny. Elliot, at one point, uh, when when he when someone asks him if he's okay, he says, "I'm pretty effing far from okay." Uh-huh. And I believe Marcellus Wallace says the same thing in the basement uh, yes. at the Gimp Shack. So no spoilers, no yeah. spoilers. But yes, Elliot has uh, hel- so certainly retained at least some uh, verbiage, uh, some dialogue from Pulp Fiction, as we all have uh, been influenced by the dialogue from Pulp Fiction. So uh, yeah, I, I just think it's 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 really kind of a great scene here at the beginning. Uh, the you know the idea that Mr. Robot once had a very good relationship with Elliot even when he was sick, I think it makes the break that we know occurs when Elliot does reveal his secret. Mr. Robot loses it, shoves him out a window. I think we, it, it makes that break so significant because the subtle thing that's been kind of in the background of this whole first season is that Elliot's mom was a real piece of work, really, really, really screwed up. Right. It, she was so messed up that young Elliot here tells the story or older Elliot tells the story about how young Elliot wanted to be on the most dangerous train car when they were going home because he didn't want to be around her ultimately uh, causing Mr. Robot to say she's not there anymore. So the, the kind of underrated part of that story is that Elliot's mom was a really screwed up person. And that even though Elliot's dad, uh, uh, did ultimately have this great breach with Elliot. They had a great relationship before that. And the fact is that probably made the breach all that more damaging to young Elliot. And I think seeing the greatness of that relationship, even a small thing like bugging off work and going to see a movie with the 20 bucks that they stole, uh, a movie that you shouldn't be taking a kid to, I think it's a great way to kind of introduce that. Yeah, I think so too. So we we move on from that to How this about the real, title card. Yeah, I was going to say the title card here. We talked about how episode 8 was maybe the the most underwhelming title card reveal, I think. I don't know if this is the if the, if it's the all-time greatest title card reveal on Mr. Robot, but I think it's close. Yeah. If it's not, but it's certainly unique. It's very memorable. It's just the name of the store, so both the title card and a revelation are happening at the same time. And then the title card very tragically fades away in the form of time passing on and Mr. Robot shutting down. Um, the business is destroyed. New stores are coming into that same storefront. There's like a dry cleaner. There's a this. There's a that. And it eventually becomes an evil corp bank. And that really just, I think, very much represents Elliot's journey here. And the kind of thing that he is fighting against is this big bank, this big evil corporation taking over the little guy. Yeah. Uh, and to watch that sort of decomposition of Mr. Robot and having it fade into an evil corp is very effective. Yeah, the big bank theory. It does happen. Like, <laughs> big it, bank theory? Yes, it is something that I think is a, a, a huge I've never punch. watched that show. You, believe me, you don't want to. It's just a bunch of bank nerds sitting around <laughs> comparing nerd notes. All um, right. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not the most uh, easy thing to swallow. We've already had kind of a, a depressing, sad scene there with the uh, young Elliot and Mr. Robot in the store, Mr. Robot being a very good dad. Uh, and then we see the kind of transition that occurs. And it is a, it is a downward spiral. I'm surprised there isn't just a, a payday lender in there. But, I mean, Evil Corp Bank is probably representative of that really low-end stuff. I mean, it, it's a tattoo parlor before it's a bank, Josh. Yeah. That ought to tell you something about where the bank kind of fits in this 
grand scheme of evolution or de-evolution, as it were, of Mr. Robot. So that – I, you say you mean maybe it's not the best. I don't know. This might be the best one for me because it serves so many masters, and it does so in a, a kind of a subtle and brilliant way. Um, I just think that that's, that's great. And then we get right back into the, the present day of it and, and Elliot and Mr. Robot in Elliot's apartment. And how about Remy Malik in this scene, Josh? Oh, he's great. I mean, he's going through a lot here. He's coming to face, you know, he's face to face with his father, who he believes for much of this episode is authentically his father. Memories are starting to flood back to him. He's trying to piece them together. He's super confused. He doesn't know why he doesn't recognize these people or didn't recognize them before. And I think more than anything, he's furious with why people who would have known what Elliot should know would keep that information from him. And so he's slamming Mr. Robot against the wall and saying, why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you tell me? And Mr. Robot says, "I'm look, you're not well. I'm trying to handle it gently. And Elliot says, gently. Gently? Yeah. Gently. Gently. (laughs) You know? Uh, It's great. It's excellent acting from Rami Malek. But I think one of the things that now we can start talking through from a a spoiler-free lens, because this is the information on the show right now, is what's Elliot doing? physically here yeah is he just throwing himself up against a wall a fair question i mean we're gonna see later in the episode we're gonna see him push mr robot out a window and he's gonna help a limping mr robot to the graveyard then when darlene and angela are there mr robot is not going to be there anymore suddenly elliot's gonna notice blood on his forehead and he's gonna start moving with a little bit of a limp um so it seems like anytime he's doing something physical against Mr. Robot here, you got to imagine he's doing it against himself. Yeah. I mean, he slams Mr. Robot against the wall here and is saying, why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you tell me this whole time? And he's shouting. And I don't know if he's slamming himself against the wall. I mean, probably he is, as you're saying. I mean, it certainly seems that way. So, yeah, this is a great scene. It is. There's a lot of uh, modulation of Elliot's kind of voice and thoughts. He's not doing a ton in voiceover. He starts the scene in voiceover by saying it's really him, but the rest of it is kind of out loud, which means even though the conversation is in Elliot's head, it's not Elliot talking to us. Uh, And so he's talking out loud, I guess, to somebody that doesn't exist. So this is different than a voiceover uh, because that's when he talks to himself, to someone who doesn't exist, to his imaginary friend. This is him talking out loud to someone who doesn't exist. And Mr. Robot says to him in this scene, Elliot, you're not well. I was trying to handle this gently, which means Elliot knows that he's not well uh, and that this is something that is probably a product of that on some level. Uh, but Elliot is, is ready to accept that it's a it's a fake death rather than this is a manifestation that I've created. So, yeah, that conspiracy theory is easier to grasp than I have created you and you are me and I am you. Yes. Uh, I you mean, I get why that would be easier to grasp than the reality of the situation. The reality of the situation is unfathomable if you're the guy. Yeah, and it, what's weird about that is yeah, Elliot really can't even – he has a really hard time accepting the conspiracy theory. He says, you died. You died. You're dead. He's shouting, yeah. you know, and he's very paranoid, and he can't believe this. And yet it is more likely that he faked his death and is here, and Elliot hasn't remembered him the whole time, than Elliot is creating him whole cloth. Elliot is not – you know – really just entertaining that thought at all, which is 
really interesting to think about, considering that he's willing to entertain the conspiracy theory that includes a faked death and Elliot being crazy enough to not recognize him throughout. Like, that he's fine with. Like, he, he's not fine with it, but he can accept that before he can accept that Mr. Robot is, is just a manifestation that he's created, that he is Mr. Robot. That's what takes him a really long time in this episode to accept. Not this other thing that even includes Elliot accepting that he's so screwed up he couldn't remember his own dad. So Mr. Robot is like, listen, we'll deal with this another time. We got to stick to the plan. We're on a tight timeline right now. Everything is about to go down in like 48 hours. And Elliot's like, we're putting a pin in this? Yeah. Are you are you out of your mind? Yeah, you, you, I, I don't give it. Tell me what's going on. We need to yeah. talk about this right now. Yeah. And Mr. Robot's even trying to like beg off like, I had an impromptu visit from Tyrell Wellick last night. There are people out there that don't want us to work together. We have to be quiet. Lower your voice. Right. Let's put a pin in this. He's He's really trying to push it away. And I do wonder, let's, let's, you know, in the world where, in a world where Mr. Robot is actually a manifestation of Elliot, in that world where that exists, is this Elliot kind of not wanting to accept the truth of that and really trying to ignore it and trying to say, I don't want to confront that because if I do, Mr. Robot goes away. I, I like having him around. I like being able to talk to my dad. So yeah, the, the my dad version of me is going to tell me, dad, don't worry about it. Let's focus on what we're right. doing. Let's not really get into that. And because once you confront it, it's gone. Yeah, I think there's a very strong piece of Elliot Alderson that doesn't want this to go away. And that piece of Elliot Alderson takes the face of his dead father. You know, that is this persona who is saying, look, there are people out there that don't want us working together. Keep your voice down, because if people start hearing Elliot screaming at himself like a maniac, then maybe he's going to, you know, have to confront the reality of what's going on here. And I think that when Mr. Robot is saying people don't want us working together, it strikes me as, you know, like, that's like people want me to go away. People People want you to be normal. People are aware that you have a tendency to be a bit unbalanced sometimes, and they would like to fix that if they knew how severe it was right now. Uh, so it behooves the Mr. Robot side of Elliot to really keep that quiet. Yeah. So he eventually relents and basically says, if you want answers, stop asking questions and follow me. And we know that they're going to go back to Elliot's childhood home, and there's going to be a bunch of discovery that happens there. But that's like, it feels to me like that's like the red button, you know, break glass in case of emergency switch of, all right, let's try and explain this a little bit further so that at least he can come to some peace with it, and maybe we can strengthen our alliance through a more honest uh, understanding of each other. That's yeah. that's how I've read that. Yeah, I think that that's exactly right. And I think that this is why a 10-episode show uh, does a lot more than Fight Club, which is uh, you know, a big twist in, a, in, a, in one movie. Uh, and the book, obviously, for Fight Club is a lot deeper in that regard. But in terms of the movie, it is a big twist, and it is revealed, and then you have what you have. But I think this gets into a lot more of the why of it, the, the, especially with regard to Elliot. Why would Elliot be manifesting his dad? What comfort does he find in this? What's his motivation in doing this? And it gets a lot deeper than, uh, well, I have an angry side and society talked to me about, you know, covering that up, but I found some outlet for it. And because of the life I lived, I was buttoned down. And so it really pushed me into a corner where this non-buttoned side of me just emerged. This is a lot different with Elliot. And I think it is a lot of Elliot recognizes on some level that, people that this isn't right this isn't how he's supposed to be and people want like maybe krista or society whoever put elliot into therapy with krista maybe angela maybe darlene 
don't want Elliot to be this unhinged. But Elliot being this unhinged allows Elliot to talk to this manifestation of his father, who he feels very guilty about what he did. And he feels very guilty about his relationship with his father because he was eight years old and eight-year-old kids don't know any better. So he's been carrying that around for so long that having his dad there at this point beats the admission of I'm crazy and I manifested my dad and it beats living a normal life. And I think it's fascinating because later in the episode, Angela says she's jealous of him because she would love to talk to her mom and she would love to have that. And Elliot, I think is a little confused with how to take that kind of revelation. Like uh, you, Oh, you want to be crazy. I don't think you do want to be crazy, Angela, but being crazy and protecting that does allow Elliot to live in this perfect little maze that includes Mr. Robot and allows Elliot to talk to his dad. So what's really fascinating about that is that you're saying that the truth, that they do go to his childhood home. And I want to know, Josh, what do you think? I mean, Mr. Robot is the one driving that bus that's taking them there. So what it's is It's a train, the, actually. Well, fair point. Yes. And he's not driving it unless not, there is something else that we need to know about, about Elliot's Yes, he's Mr. Conductor. Yes, yes, you call him Mr. Conductor. So yeah. I don't know. He, he's, the one, he's the one that takes him to the childhood home. Right. He's the one that takes him to the gravesite. What is his his goal, or what is this this part part of Elliot's kind of crazy manifestations goal with this? Is it to kill Elliot? Like, is that what he's after? No, I don't think is so. Is it I to think, forgive Elliot? I think to to kill Elliot would end the whole project, and I don't think that's something that uh, that the Mister Robot side is interested in at all. Uh, I think that I think that it's it might be what I said before that I think that it's like well if we you know this is out in the open right now, no matter how off the rails you seem to be, uh, baseline Elliot, you are at least now aware because of other people's actions making you aware that. I am your father and Darlene is your sister. So this level of awareness exists right now and we have too much to do right now. So sort of like the emergency break situation is, all right, well, let's talk it through and let's come to a full understanding of it. And hopefully you will realize that what we are doing right now still needs to happen and you can come to some sort of peace with this situation. We can maybe even work in concert together even better than before. Yeah, and that's that's the part is I'm not sure about that. I understand that's what you're saying, but I'm not sure because – he takes him to the house. He forgives him. He says, like, you need, to, you need to be forgiven for what happened when you were eight. Like, it, didn't, it wasn't your fault. Like, you were eight. We'll, and we'll get into this as the, as the scene occurs in the episode. But he forgives him, and he takes him to the graveyard, where I just don't know what the ultimate endgame is. I don't know if him forgiving him. Elliot shoves Mr. Robot out the window and says, you know, you need to let it go, and I'm ready to move on. And Elliot then shoves him out the window onto the ground. I guess we presume that Elliot jumped out that window. I don't know. Uh, we that pres- would be my assumption based on the limp later on. And yeah, the blood and on the he at least developed something. He, he maybe crashed his own head into the window, jumped through that window, and then ended up at the graveyard at his dad's gravesite. And I just don't know if you're talking about Mr. Robot as this sort of – this is the thing. You, I think, are more inclined to believe that Mr. Robot is a negative force in Elliot's life, that he is somebody uh, or something that is representative of uh, a negative force, an, an id that is this thing that, that could, can cause harm or that is out to cause chaos and harm. And I understand what I you're saying. I believe him to be anarchic, yes. Yes. I understand what you're saying about protecting the hack here and trying to do business. I just think it's a really interesting thing 
to, to do to try to go about protecting your business by taking you back to the very place that's going to ultimately bring about the end of Mr. Robot. And I don't think it's just because Darlene and Angela show up. I think taking you to the gravesite where the guy's name is written there uh, is one way to ensure that he's going to realize that you're really dead, ultimately. So I don't know. I just think that it's, it's fascinating. It's also fascinating that he ultimately says to Elliot, like, you need to forgive yourself. That's not I, – I don't know that that's a – uh, completely self-serving action. Like, if you forgive yourself, then we can go do the hack. I'm not really sure that that's what this is about. I think on some level, Elliot has positive memories of his father. We know the episode begins this way. And I think that his father was a good force. And so the way he represents and manifests in his life is not purely anarchic and purely chaotic. I think some of it's to try to help Elliot. And I do think that there's a lot of that going on in this episode. All right. Well, let's talk through the episode. I'm sure we're going to keep returning to this more and more and more. Uh, the next scene after Mr. Robot says, I'm going to take you somewhere, we see Gideon, as you mentioned earlier. I don't think there's too much to talk no. through with the Gideon scene other than it's nice to see Gideon having a moment with his husband eating breakfast. Uh, and I think that you really distilled it well, that this is sort of the human cost of Elliot's actions. Like, Elliot wants to do something grand, wants to do something big for society, make this big social upheaval. But it's going to have blowback on some people who are legitimately good people as well. And as in episode 8 when he hacks Gideon and notes like, Gideon's a good guy. I'm trying to help all people, but he's trying to help his people. Uh, This is a person who's going to be deeply affected by what Elliot is doing. And I think you see a little bit of that toll in this scene. So I think that this is a really, it's a great Gideon scene, but I think it's really instructive of what Elliot's actions are doing and the consequences of those actions on some people who might not be all evil. You know, you might have a a good art in the mix here as well. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. And I think it's, that relationship is one of the sweetest, most normal things on the entire show. And when it comes to relationships and it comes to kind of the, the things, the ways you expect characters to relate to one another, uh, this is – I don't think there's any strings attached. I don't think there's any subtext here. I think it's just that Elliot's actions have really screwed Gideon up. Gideon's a really good guy, has a very supportive husband, and his husband is saying, like, you just being here is enough for me. Uh, I'm happy, and, you know, you you can be very upset about what's happening, but you're not a failure. And I think that that's great. I think it shows that this is a show that exists in a world where those kind of things are present. It's not an entirely bleak thing where only bad things are happening uh, or negative things are happening. Uh, this is a show where there are positive characters with positive relationships, and they're being dragged down by the actions that may benefit society as a whole. Uh, And I think that that's fascinating because everybody has their own motivations. Everybody has their own goals. We see Angela going to meet with her lawyer next. And the lawyer wants no part of Angela ultimately being involved in the case. She tells her, go take a jewelry class if you want fulfillment. You can't work here. This is not what you do. And I think this is a a really bad kind of – this is an episode where Angela – it just doesn't work out very well for Angela, anything that happens in this episode. And we have to get her to a place where she's you know, thinking about Terry Colby's offer by the end of the episode. Unbelievable. So, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, which is unbelievable. But she quit Evil Corp or she quit All Safe. She quit right. protecting Evil Corp. She's coming at Evil Corp. She wants to be a crusader, and they don't want her involved. No, they don't. They don't want her involved, and that's distressing for her. Yeah. You know, what she, am I supposed to do? She is now, you know, she's given up a lot. Um, she has sacrificed a ton in order to put things in this position, but in order to affect major, major change, change at the top the way that she wants to do, that's going to require sacrifice. I don't think that Angela realized 
quite how much sacrifice that was going to involve. You know, lawsuits take time, as I'm sure you could speak to, Antonio, that legal matters don't move fast all the time. Things move very slowly. And just because she has a real big bullet aimed at uh, Evil Corp's direction, and even though it's been fired and it's heading there, it's kind of like bullet time. And they're sort of like Neo in the Matrix, and they might be able to dodge it, or at least they've got some time to deal with the fact that a gun has gone off in their direction, and it's going to take years for this lawsuit to really happen. And any money to be seen or any sort of change to really occur, Angela, I don't think, appreciated that. And on top of that, also kind of burned her bridges in this industry. And this is what she's been doing for a long time. So she's really going to have to, you know, have a makeover here. And I don't think she was prepared for that at all. I, I certainly think she was not prepared for the fact that, the, that the, the lawyer that she was working with would not be interested in working with her further on this capacity. But can you really begrudge the lawyer for not wanting to hire her in this situation? Would that be an ethical thing? No, I mean, it's not even that. I think it's also, I mean, there's probably some ethical concerns, but I think that's the lawyer who is not as wrapped up in this as Elliot and Angela, who doesn't have the personal stakes, recognizing that the personal vendetta is not going to drive and be healthy for business decisions. And I think that that is kind of a great mirror. The episode's called Mirroring. It's a great mirror to Elliot's actions. I mean, Elliot is so personally invested in what's going on that he wants to take down Evil Corp as this kind of thing that he's willing to extend himself to the places he is because of his personal vendetta. I think the lawyer probably rightly recognizes that somebody with a personal axe to grind is going to bring a lot of emotion to a situation that you have to sort of be dispassionate about. And you have to proceed with the kind of, uh, you don't want to go on tilt as a lawyer. It's not a healthy thing to do. Uh, it doesn't produce good results. You want to be able to proceed uh, in a kind of clinical way uh, that dissects and attacks and you can't overextend yourself because of emotion. And I think that that is a great mirror to what Elliot is doing. That uh, The lawyer recognizes that Angela would be in a very similar position to Elliot and that she'd have this personal vendetta and that wouldn't be healthy for what they need to do. Uh, so again, I think this is the normal world uh, compared to the characters that we know who have been affected by Evil Corp in such a way that they can't necessarily think normally about what's going on. Yeah. So Angela's also going to find out that things are not going well with Elliot. She's going to find this out from Darlene, calling from a number that Angela doesn't recognize. That's interesting. Uh, but they're going to meet up. They're meeting up at the Queens Museum. They're looking at the panorama of the city of New York. Apparently, this was the touchstone between Elliot and Angela when they would run away together. They would come and they would look at this thing. It's pretty sweet. I've never seen it myself. Now I'm curious. Yeah, I'm um, surprised that you haven't been there. That no, it looks really awesome. I, unless it was when I was a kid and i just don't remember it much like elliot doesn't remember so much of his own past oh no uh, are you elliot <laughs> mr wigbot wait josh uh, are you and i just the same person recording we've been one wondering podcast? this we've yes. been wondering this for quite a while <laughs> it's been on people's radar this is, is not what, what podcast episode will this twist be revealed <laughs> not not breaking news the penultimate episode of the mr robot here, Rewatch we, podcast. here we are here we are um but angela and darlene they kind of get into a fight friend fight they're kind of you know like why do you even care about elliot he was you know he's been messed up for a while but he was doing fine until you moved back to new york and she's like back off babe she says that i love that back off babe he's Darling's my brother great. that requires no explanation and angela's like that's fine you don't have to explain anything but if you don't explain anything don't expect me to help out and angela's just like peace i'm out if i yeah she's in the right there i think uh to to basically say that i i do think it's fascinating the line about how he was fine until you came back i think it's great because the mr robot manifestation which is of course elliot 
has been trying to shield Elliot from Darlene. He did not want Elliot to have Darlene's phone number. And as a matter of fact, the closeness between Elliot and Darlene is what made it clear that Mr. Robot was Elliot's dad, that that secret came out because Elliot and Darlene became closer. And Mr. Robot, I think, has recognized this. Elliot has recognized this on some level, that the more I sort of unravel this, the more I'm around Darlene, the more I confront her, the more it's likely that I'm going to remember that Mr. Robot is my dad. But here, Angela's pointing out, the more you are around Elliot, the more screwed up he gets. So even though she may be the kind of key to unlocking his screwed up, she is also the spark that ignites his screwed up on some level. And Angela observing that here, I think, is a, is a kind of a, a really interesting way to look at Elliot on that continuum. So Elliot and Mr. Robot are at the train station. They are going to be heading back to Elliot's childhood home. Elliot now is starting to remember some stuff. Mr. Robot's like, do you remember any of this? And he's like, yeah, I remember the game I played. Oh, I calculate the probability of safety for each car based on how often they derail. And then I would pick the safest car. What a horrible, what a horrible game because – he, on the way home, would pick the most dangerous car because he didn't want to necessarily go home. Uh, and we talked about that already. The fact is that his mom being there is really what's pushing him away. He loved going to the city with his dad. He would pick the safest car. But on the way home, he didn't want to face his mom, so he would pick the most dangerous one. And Mr. Robot says, she's not there anymore, Elliot. Do we know what happened to Elliot's mom? I don't think so. I don't think so either. That scares me a little bit. That scares me a lot of bit. <laughs> scares me a lot a of robot. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. No. I'm. I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid of that at this point. Like, do we know at this moment what has happened to Elliot's mother? I don't think that we do. No. Uh, that is a very big figure in his life that he seems really afraid of and has seen visions of her. As much as he's been able to forget Darlene, as much as he's been able to face of his own father, he has not forgotten the face of his mother as we have seen in visions that he has seen. So that's a big character looming large in his life for sure. Yeah, and... It- we, you know, as you're saying, looming large, she is kind of present in a lot of these interactions that Elliot has, but we don't know ultimately where she is out there in the world. And that, you know, that is something to, I guess, uh, put a pin in. Uh, maybe that is something that will come back up at another An- time. Another great moment here is, uh, you know, the whole, like, the two people on the train uh, platform who are, like, u- uniting together. And you think at first, that, like, is this another suited man who's coming after Elliot? It's not. It's just a coincidence. Elliot wants to see Darlene. Mr. Mr. Robot says we can't see Darlene right now. It's too risky. Yeah. And I get the risk. If they went and saw Darlene right now and Mr. Robot was there, Elliot would say, why haven't you been telling me that our leader is our father? Or even if he wasn't there, he might say the same thing. And the moment he says that to Darlene is the moment that Darlene says, okay, I now understand what's going on. You're seeing your dead father again. Um, So that's why Mr. Robot, I think, really has to take this situation and try to guide Elliot toward the realization on his terms because this secret's going to come out very soon no matter what may as well be the person who reveals the secret if you feel like you've got a way of opening that secret in a passable way yeah maybe he says i'm going to show you where i've been this whole time and i mean he ends up at the grave site so i don't know what his end game was going to be before darlene and angela blew that up what he was going to say like elliot i have been dead this whole time but i'm not dead because i live on in you or whatever i don't know exactly how that plays out but uh, maybe he is trying to do it on his own. i mean certainly he's trying to control the rules of the interactions 
by saying, like, no, you don't get to talk to Darlene. It's too risky. Right. But I, I do wonder what the ultimate plan of the subconscious manifestation was uh, to reveal the secret or to try to kind of continue to live on in the world. Uh, because it doesn't go well, obviously. It ends very poorly. But in part, it ends poorly because of Angela and Darlene, as you're saying. So right. I don't know. I but do love that. that there's a ticking clock element to that because, like, that's just going to come up the next time Elliot sees Darlene or Angela even potentially. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely true. And, and it is something that he's – the more time he can spend alone with Elliot, perhaps the better. Maybe he can get him into a position uh, where he's got this kind of workable solution. I don't know. I did love that moment on the train platform that you mentioned uh, where the person, they, they think they see a man in a suit talking to them because we see Elliot and Mr. Robot almost look like two heads out of the same neck. Uh, uh-huh. Mr. Robot's kind of craning his head around Elliot's neck, uh, and it, it's a really cool shot. Uh, and obviously there are other great shots like that throughout now that we know. Uh, if you were to go back and rewatch, you'd see a lot of the blocking in different scenes where Mr. Robot is kind of standing right behind Elliot so that when a character is talking to, El- to Mr. Robot, uh, they could easily be talking to Elliot. There are a couple scenes like that in the arcade. I think this is a really cool one of those as well. Um, all right, so let's talk about another character in this episode who is going through a lot. Uh, Tyrell Wellick, who is now a father, Mazel Tov to the Wellicks. Uh, we also find out that this is not Joanna Wellick's first child. Right, and I think that that's a, that's a kind of a key re- uh, revelation here. Yes. Uh, I, I don't know that people are speculating like, oh, who could the baby be? Is it somebody else on the show? Joanna Wellick is not that old, Josh. She's got to be what, like her mid to late 20s, late 20s probably, uh, right. maybe 30 at most. Uh, and so if she had a baby when she's 15, I don't think there's a lot of 15-year-old kids wandering around on the show. I don't think so. Uh, not that I recall, but that doesn't mean that a 15-year-old kid couldn't show up absolutely. at some point in the future. Yes, absolutely. There could, uh, there could easily be somebody that shows up that is Joanna Wellick's kid. So we do have to put a pin in this one as well and remember that she had a baby before. She's also really uh, – she's kind of uh, cold uh, to the cold robot, to, to Wellick. She basically says, I don't want you anymore. I don't want to be married to you anymore. Uh, you're not a man I want to be married to anymore. He's and like, she, please, yeah. uh, you have to trust me. I know I've been careless. And she says, all right, if you want to stay in the family, fix this. Yes, yeah, you have to fix this. And fix it. I don't know what this is. I, I think it's fascinating. It's a lot of characters trying to fix things. I and mean, right before the scene, Elliot talked to us. And said, I, you know, I, I'll figure this out. I know you don't trust me, but I'm remembering more and more as once we, you know, once we get all the answers, I'll be back to normal. I don't know what normal means for Elliot. So I don't know what fix this means for Joanna Wellick. Does it mean become CTO, become the youngest executive in this company? Right. Does it mean get away from the Sharon Knowles murder? Uh, does it, I don't know what that means to Joanna Wellick, but uh, I, and I don't know what normal means to Elliot, but those are very interesting things that these characters are going to have to struggle with. What does getting back to normal mean for Elliot? And what does fixing it look like for Wellick? And by the end of the episode, when the two of them are together, are they in a place where with one action they can both do what they're trying to do? Elliot can get back to normal. Wellick can fix something. I think that's the question we need to be asking ourselves by the time we're done watching this one. All right, in a very quick second, we're going to get into some more Wellick stuff. But very quickly, Gideon Goddard is going to go to a store that has been burned out, that's been destroyed. He knows the owner. The owner is on the phone with insurance. He's not happy with the results he's getting. This went over my head, the importance, the significance of this scene um, on the first watch. And even on the second watch, I didn't really, you know, wasn't paying super close attention. But this is this is where the White Rose meeting took place. Yes, this is where Elliot was sent to meet with White Rose. We saw White Rose destroy the 
drives uh, during the meeting with Elliot. Uh, and this is ultimately them destroying evidence of those drives uh, by burning down the business. That seems to be them closing a loop on this thing uh, and them making – there's a lot of things in play in this episode that I want to get into and we'll get into them as they occur. That seems to be the plan between Elliot and the Dark Army and F Society is going on in the background and in some way, shape, or form. Uh, while Elliot is really struggling, the things are still happening. And this is one of them. A business yeah. is burned down to cover up the evidence. All right. How about let's fire Tyrell Wellick? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's just get into that. <laughs> Unbelievable. So this is a really great scene where Philip Price, who's the CEO of uh, Evil Corp, I believe that's his name, correct? I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. What a great name for an evil uh, billionaire. It's a very uh, Stan Lee name, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He just seems like that is going to be the, you know, the arch nemesis here of Evil Corp. Is the, the big boss is Philip Price. Of course, it's Price. Uh, what's the price that Tyrell Wellick has to pay for all of the mania and all of the mayhem and the murder that he's caused over the past few weeks? Well, it looks like he's going to have to pay with his life at Evil Corp. He is uh, being let go because he is being viewed as a person of interest in this case we really can't have any of that you know philip is trying to kind of like be like you know i know it's not you obviously it's not you that being said that doesn't mean that the problem is gone the problem remains um scott stays you can't yeah and well like takes a beat to like I think, like, try to figure out what is the best possible response in this situation. But as you often call him, cold robot, does not compute, does not compute. (laughs) Error 404. Error, error 404. Uh, He just can't, like, seemingly either process the news or can't come up with an adequate response quickly enough. And so just, like, and I think it's probably that. He really goes through all five stages of loss here, Josh. He does. He starts by by denying. He's kind of playing dumb, as you're saying. Uh, And and the 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 Philip Price says, "You know exactly what I'm saying. Like you know this. Don't don't deny it." So that's the denial phase. Then he Wellick yells, "Like you can't! I've killed myself for this company. I've been promoted faster than anyone." He's he's yelling. He's angry. And then the CEO is like, "I considered all the ways you might respond. That I did not uh, think that you know that this would be. And I'm disappointed now that I'm seeing them." And then at that point, Wellick is begging. Uh, then he starts to well up with tears. There's his depression. Uh, and then finally, by the end of it, uh, he sort of gets into just accepting it. Uh, and as he accepts it, he barges out of the room. Uh, he breezes past the cops. Contact my lawyer. If you have evidence against me, charge me. Like, he's going to do something else at this point. Yeah, no, he's got other plans. We will see what those plans yeah, are. And this Philip Price is a very unctuous individual. He's a slime ball. <laughs> a great way of describing him yeah he's a total slime ball like this guy it's great casting i mean this guy is uh it's just somebody you've probably seen playing this role before uh but he is just a he's a he's just a filthy dude like he is not a i mean he he starts this scene by sort of being homophobic a little bit by like tossing his wrists around and saying his assistant has a way with flowers right, uh, right. that's the same assistant that wellick slept with i mean he's just a, a slime ball and you you can, you can bet your bottom dollar if you haven't watched episode 10 or 
without getting into the season two of it all, this is not the last we're going to see of this guy. No, played by Michael Christopher, yes. who is uh, probably best known for stage work for his uh, for his plays. He is a Tony Award winner. Uh, he is a Pulitzer Prize winner. This is all information gleaned very quickly from his Wikipedia page. He but he seems like a big deal. I don't know him very well. Is he in Eyes Wide Shut? I feel like he's in a... I, feel I like recognize in... him from a bunch of stuff, but nothing that's just like very quickly coming to mind. I feel like I've um, seen him play this role before, uh-huh, is maybe. what it comes down to. And I think this is not it's not typecasting but he slides right into this any michael christopher fans shout out to us let us know what we should know about this guy and what we should really be looking into yeah i mean i I've, i know i've seen him before i know that he plays a very similar role uh in in something was it die hard was he one uh, he's die not prom he's not prominent in die hard I've seen him somewhere. But, but he is in die hard with a vengeance and he's you know what like, it's rubicon the short-lived amc show that i saw him in okay okay so that he's in there he is in yeah. die hard with a vengeance he's one of those feds that is uh in the car with bruce willis when jeremy irons is spying on the car and we see jeremy irons for the first time he's like you're still chewing on your glasses and he's chewing on his glasses because i guess that's the thing that his character does <laughs> I, I do remember this now i remember that and i know i know he's in rubicon uh, he's a glasses chewer yeah he's in, he's a glasses chewer uh intelligence analyst from rubicon and just dirty ceo of uh of ceo ceo of Evil yeah Corp, a c-suite right. employee all right, so let's go to Elliot's house. This is the scene where he looks at the window, the window we have heard so much about uh, already on the show at this point. This is the Elliot – this is the Elliot. This is the window where Elliot was pushed out of when he was a child by his father. It was an accident. It was an accident. Elliot, now that he has a chance to confront his father about this or who he believes to be his father – is no longer so apologetic or remorseful about whatever it was he did that led to this moment. Now he's vengeful. You know, now he's, I'm feeling a little revengeful. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Absolutely. And it is, uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of fascinating that we end up there, but that's, that's where we end up. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's an evolution for sure. Yeah, it's an evolution for sure. And we see Elliot pushing him through the glass, Drops him, you know, after Mr. Robot is saying, let it go, let it go. Yes. <laughs> he lets it go. Those are, you know, let choice words. Yeah. Let it go. As the, as the Joker would tell you. Yes. Curious choice of words. Uh, and so he does indeed let him go. Uh, but before that, I mean, this is probably something that, you know, hits close to your interpretation of Mr. Robot in certain scenes, Antonio. This sort of paternal side of him that is trying to help Elliot out. He's saying... Um, you know, it was an accident. You thought you, you thought you deserved it. He says, you thought you deserved it. You blamed yourself your whole life for telling my secret. This anger, you know, this, it, it was you directed at you and you don't have to be angry at yourself anymore. Let it go. You interpret that as Mr. Robot trying to heal Elliot. Can I tell you that I interpret this as, you know, very much anarchical Mr. Robot being like, don't throw yourself out a window right now. We still have work to do. Well, yeah, and so you're—I mean, in your in your mind, the ultimate goal of Mister Robot is the only reason for his existence, which is that his every one of his actions, whether it's trying to forgive Elliot, whether it's trying to keep Elliot happy, is in pursuance of ultimately taking down Evil Corp. That, or whatever his goal is, if yeah. that is his ultimate goal, whatever his ultimate goal is, that is what he is here for, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, and I and I, if you if you phrase it that way, I think that we can get on the same page because his ultimate goal could be. 
you know, Elliot manifests this person, this version of his father, this thing where he can talk to this person as a means of ultimately coming to grips with a lot of things about the world. It isn't a purely negative thing where he only manifests him to cause chaos. He's also manifesting him to come to grips with things like forgiving himself over the actions that he has taken or the, the way, the things that he feels really bad about from when he was eight years old. I mean, whether or not Mr. Robot is, is getting Elliot to make peace with himself in this scene just so Mr. Robot can stay alive because Elliot can stay alive, uh, I think we end up at the same place where El- with the actions of Mr. Robot are trying to get Elliot to do a good thing, not kill himself, not do something harmful, uh, not be so screwed up, not to continue to carry this negative torch. I think these are all very good things that will happen from this kind of scene. But you're saying that those good things may all just be side effects of Mr. Robot's larger goal, which is to pursue a bad thing. And I'm saying he's not an entirely negative force in Elliot's life. He's trying to protect him. He's trying to get him to forgive himself. He's trying to get him to move on from a lot of these things. He doesn't want Elliot in this bedroom. But once Elliot gets there, he's trying to say, like, hey, you can forgive yourself for this. But Elliot's the one. It's just so fascinating because all of it is Elliot. So... Elliot walks into that bedroom because Elliot wants to fix something. That's not where Mr. Robot wants him to focus. No. Elliot wants to focus there. Once he does, Mr. Robot's response is, don't dwell on this. Let it go. Like, don't, you can forgive yourself. You thought you deserved it. You blamed yourself your whole life. How does Mr. Robot know what Elliot did his whole life? Like, that is something that only Elliot knows. So this is Elliot telling himself, you need to move on from this. You need to, you need to, get, you need to get past it. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I just don't. No, I don't think it's a bad thing either. I'm just saying I think it could be like, don't throw yourself out a window right now. If you throw, your, if you throw me out a window, you're throwing yourself out a window, and that might be it for us. Yeah. It, it feels desperate. Yeah. You know, it, it feels like a man who knows that. If you throw me out a window, you're killing yourself potentially. Uh, so I, th- I think it could be all of these things. Yeah, and I just think he doesn't want him to kill himself because he doesn't want him to kill himself. Because this part of Elliot's subconscious isn't pure anarchy. Like, yeah, throw yourself out the window. I don't care. Go to a fight club and get the shit kicked out of you forever. I think right. that's great. This is more along the lines of like – Listen, I want you ultimately to be okay, and I want you to be able to let it go. I still want to be alive. I want to be around. But for you to be okay, I want you to be okay is also saying I want me to be okay. Yes, absolutely. I think that those are fundamentally the same thing here with Mr. Robot being, you know, an aspect of Elliot. Yeah, I think so. And I think that that is – I think that there's a really interesting thing here because of the paternal relationship where Elliot can maybe take advice from him as his dad. Like I'm freeing you of this guilt. I'm telling you that you shouldn't be guilty. You're the one uh, who thought that you deserved to be pushed. I didn't think you deserved to be pushed. Uh, and this is all really fascinating stuff. I guess this reads as a suicide attempt. Like, I am going to let my demons go. I am going to free myself. I am going to jump out this window. Uh, and I guess ultimately that reads as a suicide attempt. I don't but know. But I think that that, you know, that implies that Elliot knows that he's throwing himself out a window. And in this moment, I think that Elliot is so far gone that he does not get that yet. So you know, I don't think that it's Elliot being like, I'm going to end things or I'm going to hurt myself. He thinks that he is hurting this thing that he believes to be his father in this moment. Yeah. I don't think that he realizes that he's causing self-harm if he does something. Here. And I can't speak to 
the people that end up in these situations, but I wouldn't shock me if many people have felt the same way when they take right. similar actions. Like I'm trying to help myself by getting rid of something that's hurting myself. Uh, it just so happens that the cure is going to be worse than uh, the sickness. So, right. yeah, I don't know uh, 100% what's going on there, but it is. they are in his hometown, so Angela is right around. Uh, her dad mentions that he's seen Darlene around. That gets them kind of back in the mix. Um, they, and they yeah. make up very quick. It's yeah, like a quick kiss on the cheek. It's like, oh, we're friends again. Yeah, kiss on the cheek, which is not what Angela and Shayla did in the past, but oh well. Uh, you know, <laughs> okay. that's probably better uh, for the show overall. Uh, we don't need that happening in this episode. Uh, but yeah, this is, uh, this is all kind of what's happening in parallel to the fact that, as I said, the hack stuff is still going on. Gideon is trying to get this server back online. He's been told that Tyrell Wellick specifically ordered them to leave it as it is. That is not something we saw happen in episode eight, Josh? No, no. it's not. Yeah. So there seem to be some things that Tyrell is up to that we are not privy to. Yeah. And as we see by the end of the episode, he is deeply curious in not only what is going on with F society, but wanting to be a part of that cause. And also now this recontextualizes, obviously we talked about this in the spoiler filled section last week, but from the spoiler free perspective, we now have context for the scene with Tyrell in the car with Mr. Robot. That's Elliot in Mr. Robot mode. Um, so Tyrell and Elliot have already had a face-to-face about some of this stuff. So, yeah, Tyrell seems to be very, very interested in what's going on with that society. Tyrell, yes, this is what's happening for sure. And I think it's fascinating to look at it in, in through that lens because last episode, Tyrell Wellick called Gideon at a very convenient time for Elliot. Ultimately bailed Elliot out of Gideon, like just... Uh, monster you know monstrously kind of standing over him saying what are you up to i don't trust you why didn't you come into the conference room he gets bailed out by a call from wellick in that moment whether or not that's something elliot arranged i think at this point remains to be seen but i think it's interesting that this kind of interjects the fact that wellick has been moving to protect this hack in the background for whatever reason for whatever motivations not entirely clear but that that wellick has been moving to protect this hack or at least not prevent it from occurring at at this stage uh, in the background and then that 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 raises the question like does uh, does everything that happened uh, ultimately does everything that happened with Wellick is it ultimately leading back to Wellick being involved with this and we'll get into that a little bit more later so we'll see we'll see how all of that is shaking out so Angela and Darlene they're together they see broken glass from Elliot's window we now go to the graveyard the very infamous graveyard scene where it's revealed that Elliot and Mr. Robot this is a thing this is a thing that's happening Elliot has this realization as soon as Angela and Darlene show up but first uh, he sees them in the distance and Mr. Robot knows that all right, clock's ticking I can really only stand here and speak some sense into Elliot for so long before they show up and I'm not going to have any sway over him anymore yeah and it's it's fascinating because the Angela and uh, and Darlene scene kind of begins with them at the old Alderson house saying you know a new family moved in here and the dad is really weird uh, and then we get right into speaking of really weird dads uh, dads who come back to life and who are resurrected in some way and who are limping through a graveyard with their son at the gravesite uh, that is something I think that anybody if it were normally happening would say was very weird but this is a uh, it's kind of a great scene because 
all four characters are in kind of the same location. And it's the first time that these four characters, Angela, Darlene, Elliot, and Christian Slater's character, Mr. Robot, Mr. Alderson, have been in the same scene at the same setting kind of at the same time. Uh, And they're not all in the same shot because... By the time Angela and Darlene show up, Mr. Robot is is kind of he's he's slumped to the grave, and then when Elliot turns around, he's gone. He's gone. He's gone. Yeah, just like that. Oh, he's gone. But he's gone. Yeah, it is. Um, it is great. The last lines from from Mr. Robot are, "It won't be long now. I tried to protect you, son, but they caught up to us." Trust me, I wanted to tell you sooner. You have to believe me. No matter what anyone tells us to do, they're not going to break us apart again. I will always be with you. Listen to me because we don't have much time. They're going to try to get rid of me again, and I won't let them. I love you, son. I will never leave you again. Uh, And that is just, those lines are fascinating when you realize that's Elliot saying those things to himself. That's part of Elliot kind of saying, I want to be with you. And this is still Elliot carrying around a lot of grief over the loss of his father. It's really, really upsetting. Yes. And you talked before about excellent work from Rami Malek, and I think that this scene in particular is some of his series' best work, Yes, uh, at least so far. I mean, him coming to that realization, the slow limp that starts to affect him. You know, he can barely hold his ground when Angela and Darlene are saying, who were you talking to? And Elliot sees that, and they say, your head is bleeding. And then he just starts to kind of, like, stagger around. And he's very, very upset and takes a few deep breaths to sort of start coming to the process of realizing what's happening. And you get it in his monologue as well as interior monologue, or I guess him talking to us, uh, him saying, this can't be happening, this can't be happening, this can't be happening. Yeah, great contrast to the first episode when he's seeing the Terry Colby hack. It's happening, it's happening, it's It's happening, it's happening, it's happening. It can't be happening, it can't be happening, it can't be happening here. Uh, Staggering around, very upset. Then he kind of is acceptance, like... This is happening, isn't it? He says, you knew all along, didn't you? Which I think is awesome, Josh. I think that that is a great nod to the fact that the show has been hiding this in plain sight. Right. And that people would have known by this point or would have guessed. I mean, great work on the show if you didn't guess, if you didn't know what was going on at this point. But I had guessed it at certain points, but then things start to happen like Mr. Robot having some agency independent of Elliot, yes. seemingly. You know, like him being in the van in the Steel Mountain episode or him being with Darlene in the bar or his scene with Romero and at that point I'm out on the theory that Elliot and Mr. Robot are the same guy um, and then when we get the the cliffhanger at the end of episode 8 where he's his father I bought that yeah me too, me too it wasn't until this moment where I was like oh man alright so yeah it really is there but it's a great point you're raising where it's saying you knew all along didn't you this is a show for me I think your mileage may vary, but for me, this show really, really, really works tremendously well, even when you know this twist, even when you know that Mr. Robot is not his own man. Um, When you know that there is this thing that's coming down the pike and it's revealed here in the graveyard, I feel like if you're suspecting that all along the way and you're looking for it and you're trying to figure out how that makes sense, that's all very rewarding stuff to me. And I like that this show outright acknowledges a lot of that stuff as in this line right here you knew all along didn't you i think that's directly to the audience he speaks to us often you know he when he is talking to you and he grabbed us by the camera in episode eight and threw us to the ground he talks to you and me and everybody else who's listening and watching the show very often and i think that that is a direct comment to the people like 
oh, you figured it out. You knew and you didn't tell me. And I think he takes that very personally. Yeah, he, and he's angry. He is angry that we know things that he doesn't and that his imaginary friend would know the details that he doesn't. And I think this show has acknowledged all along that we have an unreliable narrator who we really shouldn't trust. And let's evaluate the information that we get that is absent that guy. So that is why seeing Christian Slater have agency can influence our own choices about what we felt about the twist. I think a lot of people, some people, I shouldn't say a lot, were let down by this twist because they did see it as too on the nose considering the Fight Club comparisons with the debt uh, kind of actions and the actions against society in that regard. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, I personally think it's a better show once you realize the twist. This rewatch has been so rewarding because the twist is there in plain sight and they don't really hide it, but they, they add things to it, like the agency, to make you wonder where you're on point with it. Then even at the beginning of this episode, we do have the great misdirect where maybe this guy has faked his own death. And I think with the show that permeates this air of uh, conspiracy uh, and mystery, I think anything is possible. And I think the fact that this twist did occur, uh, I think it opens the door to when Mr. Robot shows up again. If he shows up again, is this Elliot totally going off the rails? Is it Elliot wanting him to be there? Is Elliot going to forget at that point that he remembered? Uh, And if Elliot is forgetting that, what else is he forgetting? It just really opens the door to a ton. Uh, And I think it allows the show to exist in a world where we could never really fully trust what we're seeing. Uh, And I love that this twist happened. I understand that people think that it's a little too on the nose, but for me, there's a ton of mileage in this, especially because it... It changes the kind of dynamic of the way you view the show. Like, well, what else is hiding in plain sight? Is everything else happening as we see it? We have such an unreliable narrator. When Mr. Robot comes back, like, what else is he screwing up at this point? If he's that screwed up that he's letting Mr. Robot back in and not remembering who he is. Yeah, and, I mean, there's still a lot that Elliot doesn't remember. You know, he gets back on the train to go back into the city. He has a final goodbye with Angela. Looks like their relationship is healing, if not healed, in this moment where she says, I wish, you know, I kind of envy you. Yeah, I wish we talked I could, about this. Yeah, yeah I yeah, wish yeah. I could talk to my mom again. But Elliot, you know, on the train ride is talking to Darlene. And Darlene's like, just to be clear, like, are you still good? Like, we've got a lot going on. I need to know what you remember. Do you remember when we started F Society? Elliot doesn't answer. So we don't know in this moment if he does remember or if he, you know, doesn't remember. And if he does remember, why is he not sharing that information with you and I right now? Yeah. And and that is uh, – I think that's great because it's uh, – it is – he doesn't remember starting F Society, doesn't even answer when Darlene asks him that. And so the question is like, yeah, you're right. What else is he not sharing with us? What else does he not remember? What else has happened? And I think this is all very convenient and very important because um, we get right into Gideon coming in to see Tyrell Wellick. Wellick has been fired. Scott Knowles is not available because his wife has been killed. And honestly, had either of them been around, had Gideon, had Wellick not been fired, had Scott Knowles been available because his wife was alive and well, uh, Gideon could stop the hack, I think. Gideon could have easily stopped this hack. Uh, And it is not something where he's, Gideon is, Gideon is the only people that can stop the hack at this point are Wellick and Elliot. Uh, And maybe the Dark Army, but Gideon and some outside force all safe people who know about it, they can't because of things that have happened. Because all these things have been kind of, maybe this is coincidence, Josh, and maybe this was all part of the plan. And that's the part that's interesting to me. Yeah, very much so. So we'll dig into that a little bit more as we go along. How about this? How about a job offer for Angela? Oh, that sounds good. She needs a job. Is it a good job? 
but it's an evil job. Oh, no. No. No, Angela, no. Don't listen no, to him. No. Don't listen to Terry Kobe Immunity Beast. Philip Price is coming. No, this is bad. You don't want to work. Philip Price, the specialist, has yes. sent in Terry Colby, the challenge beast. The challenge beast. To offer Angela a gig. Uh, he says, Angela, you played a great short game. You got what you wanted, but it was the wrong thing to want. Uh, and this is very weird to me. Yeah, is this on the level? What's going on with the challenge beast here, Josh? It's all very strange because shouldn't he be under house arrest first of all? Well, what is yeah. he doing here? Yeah, he's. I mean, the case I don't think is resolved. He's got guys there with him. Don't know if they're lawyers or if they're bodyguards. He slummed it down to Jersey to talk to her, as she puts it. Uh, and this is uh, this is so weird. His reasoning for offering her the job is that she's tenacious, that he's looked into her at evil cor- her work at all safe, and she's really worked hard. She's relentless and smart, and that's a valuable combination to people I know. Is this truly Terry Colby challenge beast and talent scout? <laughs> yeah. Like, is that talent what's happening here? He's, she's just talent scouting her, scout you know, cloud. yeah. Scout cloud. Yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, it's it's bizarre. It's a strange thing. You know, this does not seem like something that would sit well with Angela, especially after everything she has done to lash out at Evil Corp. Right. But Terry says, like, you'd be surprised at how much, like, Personal stuff doesn't matter in business. Like, this kind of thing can get forgiven very quickly. Yeah, and he also gives a very – he paints a couple of very bleak pictures. The first is that, yeah, the lawsuit's going to settle. They're going to they're gonna spend all the money your legal team has, and then they're going to pay seventy five to $100 million. But I got news for you. We set up a rainy day fund when we had the leak happen in the first place. That fund's already made five times that amount of money. So this is going to be a slap on the wrist for us, and we're already ready to pay it. Uh, and Angela's upset by this, and Colby's like, come on. You know, it's fast food around the corner, people smoking cigarettes everywhere, global warming. If you take those things personally, you can't really live in the world. If you want to try to change things, you actually need to do it from within. And I think this is fascinating because this is the different uh, kind of argument. Elliot is the, the, the person railing at the system, trying to change it from the outside. And Terry Colby's like, you can have problems with what Evil Corp is doing. And if you want to try to effect change against those problems kind of should work for evil corp and try to change them uh and i think that's his pitch that's his big pitch is uh, angela hey you can be a mirror image of elliot he's not saying this directly but i mean that's ultimately where we end up with this we can have mirroring between angela and elliot two people who are affected by the very same incident one person can respond one way and one person can respond in the mirror image way the way that is sort of similar but flipped and in a, a, a different thing about flipped. it Yes. Philip Priced. Philip Priced. So that is ultimately, <laughs> uh, I think, uh, the interesting kind of pitch that Challenge Beast Terry Colby is making to Angela. And I don't know. Uh, I, he kind of shows himself out, and I, I don't know exactly what his end game is. I really, the thing is, I get the pitch. I understand what he's saying. I'm just not sure he's on the level. All I don't right, know what well, he would want. I don't know what his goal would be. But I think that's the interesting thing when we take this, when we leave this scene, we need to ask ourselves what we think Terry Colby's motivations might be in doing this. And we can't just accept him at face value. All right. Well, this is obviously the start of a story. I uh, don't think we're done with that. We're done with that for right now. We'll talk it through a little bit more in a little while. First, let's go to Elliot's apartment where Darlene is with him and trying to, you know, kind of check out, you know, what's going on with him, sees that he has a lot of empty pill bottles. Like, so did you just like 
fill out new prescriptions and dump your medicine? Is that just what you've been doing? Um, and Elliot is, you know, kind of saying like, maybe we shouldn't do this. I don't know what's going on anymore. Maybe this isn't such a good idea. And Darwin is kind of trying to say like, you know, maybe you don't know what you're doing, but I know that this, all of this was your idea. You came up with this plan and part of you has to know that this is the right thing to do. Yeah, and uh, and this is a uh, this is kind of the Mr. Robot argument, right? That Mr. Robot was always trying to push the the plan, uh, and that was maybe focused on the plan overall, and that that maybe was Elliot manifesting that he knew what the right thing to do was, which is pursue this plan. And so that's your argument for Mr. Robot being a force that's just trying to protect the part of Elliot that knows this is the right thing to do that Darlene is appealing to. By the way, Flipper still alive. Darlene takes Flipper out. I don't know how. I don't know who's been feeding Flipper or what Flipper's been up to. I can't imagine Elliot's been doing a great job of that. Uh, and Darlene should not be leaving Elliot alone. Are we on the same page about that? Yeah, maybe now is not a great time to leave Elliot by himself. Then again, Darlene has not always struck me as a responsible adult. No, that's so true. So it's within character, I think, for that's her to true. leave right now. Yeah. I think it's very in character. And her departure paves the way for the arrival of Tyrell Weller who is just in peak creepy robot mode right now where he shows up he's like shh be quiet i didn't want anyone to know i've been waiting i've been waiting for her to leave so i could come in by the way what do you think of my gloves what do you what do you think of my murder gloves yes do you like my murder gloves (laughs) yeah and so he starts to say like i know that you're at the heart of this uh i've been thinking about everything you are the one constant in a sea of variables. That's a very interesting comment, given how variable we have just found out Elliot actually is. Right, yeah, he's calling him his constant. Elliot Alderson is my constant. I think that's great. Yeah, it's good. All right, so he keeps talking to uh, Elliot, and he puts the gloves on. He's like, I don't know what your grand plan is. You're going to tell me. Uh, He cops to the murder. He says, I killed someone the other night. It's very bizarre to, you know, strangle somebody with your bare hands. Uh, Something so tremendous done by something so simple. And he talks about how the first 10 seconds were uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable just listening to this. You know, you're in a feeling of limbo, but then your muscles tense and she struggles. Why does it have to be a she? And fights it and almost disappears into the background. And then it's just you with absolute, absolute power. And that moment stayed with me. His description of it, he says, like, I thought I'd feel guilty, but I don't. I feel wonder. This doesn't ring true to me based on what we saw of Tyrell Wellick's actions and reaction in the moment. We saw him trembling. We saw him crying. Unless those were tears of joy, I guess it's not impossible that that's what that was. I do buy the, like, feeling sort of, like, in limbo and feeling a little lucid in the moment. But then the FKA Twigs cuts out, <laughs> and he starts crying, and he starts getting very upset about what he did. Yeah, and he's and pounding s- the F in vodka and kneeling in front of his wife saying God is above that. Exactly, and, and then he's, like, firing people for no reason, and he's making this horrific noise that you love so much when he is, yes. you know, being told that, like, you've got meetings today oh, and I stuff that like that. So, you know, like, that does not strike me as a man who has uh, felt absolute power and, quote-unquote, that moment stayed with me. I feel wonder. I don't buy that. I think that this is him posturing in front of Elliot and trying to puff his chest out a little bit. Yeah, I agree completely. And he does literally puff his chest out, and it is literally like he looms over Elliot and puts the gloves on as a way of intimidation. I think... 
Wellick is not completely off the rails such that he's not capable of putting this together. I think when he angrily storms away from the cops, this is a Tyrell Wellick who is in some, I think he goes through those five stages of grief and loss uh, in that meeting with Philip Price and ultimately comes out of it this kind of guy who is a little more focused on uh, on what he wants to do. And the fact that he's been fired, the fact that what he was trying to fix and protect is gone, uh, he, has, he has kind of uh, evolved, I think. He has emerged from his chrysalis that was corporate kind of uh, pursuance of these roles, and he's basically saying, like, I want to do, I want to know, I want to do something. I want to exist in this world uh, where I can make an impact. And if I'm going to get my wife back, if I'm going to get all the, I need to do something big and I need you to tell me what's going on. And so this is him really taking control of that in this moment. I don't agree with his monologue about how he felt about the murder. I agree with you, but I think in this moment he is in control. I think that it's him, you know, putting that out there to intimidate Elliot into Cluing him in on the plan. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, like, let exactly. me just tell you, like, you can be scary sometimes. Guess what? So can I. I'm putting I, on my murder gloves and basically telling you I'm going to murder you. And I like murder. So right. let's get this done. So let's get this done or you can meet my murder gloves. Yes. <laughs> we, you know, we could really <laughs> my talk MGs. about that. Yeah. So uh, Elliot, Tyrell, and the MGs, they take a trip to Coney Island. Sounds like and, a band. And Elliot invites Tyrell to see F Society firsthand. And this is where we start getting a really great music cue that maybe goes over a few people's heads. This cover of Where Is My Mind by the Pixies, featured in The Leftovers Season 2, another show that Antonio and I podcast about, but very famously included at the end of Fight Club, uh, which is, you know, another touchstone for this show, according to a lot of people. And obviously, with the reveals that we have gained here in Episode 9, I know that some of the critiques uh, against Mr. Robot are, oh, it's just a Fight Club thing. Well, here's the show saying, hey, we like Fight Club too. Yeah, we get it. We understand what you're going to be thinking of in a lot of this uh, this episode. But here's a way we can do this that's a twist. It's a, it's a cover. The Pixies version is what plays at the end of Fight Club. This is a haunting kind of ethereal piano version that is just gorgeous and beautiful and gives me chills just thinking about it. And this is them saying, like, yeah, this is a cover maybe of Fight Club, but it's an evolution of the thing by being a cover that, that has the same themes but it is uh, it is very much an evolution and a different thing that exists in a different emotional space. Yeah, I think it's, you know, we're playing with similar themes. Yes. We are playing with similar ideas. We are having similar aspects of storytelling occur across this show versus that movie. But we're also playing with a lot more as well. We yeah. have other things that we are exploring as well. So I think that it's a, it's a very clear winking nod to Fight Club and to the people who are thinking, Fight Club! As soon as they see the Elliot and Mr. Robot reveal. I love this. I think that this is a great little acknowledgement, and I think that one of the strengths of Mr. Robot for me is it wears a lot of its influences on its sleeve in this way. Absolutely. I agree with you completely. It is a strength, not a weakness, and I think that them acknowledging it is a really great thing, because yeah, you're right. They're saying we're playing the same even the same song or or a similar song, but it's so different in in terms of how it's evolved uh, that it's a very different thing, and it can still be similar and yet gorgeous and beautiful. Uh, and it can be something different that can be that can create totally different emotion. It can be totally different in terms of what it generates, uh, even though it's similar in terms of theme and style. And you're right. I love that about it. It's not saying like, oh, we're, we can do this sort of thing and just try to get away with 
it and maybe people haven't seen Fight Club or maybe people will see us first and think Fight Club copied us. No, we're going to acknowledge that we understand the connection, but we're going to acknowledge it in a way that says we think we've evolved it and changed it. All right. So Elliot and Tyrell, they're surveying the scene. Elliot is letting Tyrell in on everything. We're encrypting all the files, all of Evil Corp's financial records. We're destroying the backups. Uh, I'm hooked in through Steel Mountain. And Tyrell's like, oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Now I get it. And he's like, you thought of everything. Who else was involved? And this very kind of interesting moment from Elliot for the first time saying, just me. Yep. Yeah, and it makes you wonder. I mean, we we know Darlene is real. We, Darlene has interacted with Angela. Uh, they've been to model together. They've been to ballet class together. They've hugged outside the Alderson home together. Darlene Importantly, is real. Angela talking to Darlene in front of Elliot. Yes, exactly. Darlene is real. So it isn't just that all of these people are manifestations of Elliot. Uh, and and but that I think is he's, not something that, that is Yeah, he's there. he's owning the role of like, I came up with the idea. Yes, I'm Mr. Robot. That is ultimately what he's saying. Just me. This was my thing. And there's probably also some element of protecting the other people that it, it, at the end of the day, they are, it is going to be Elliot and Wellick working together as Wellick says, because Wellick's response is, well, now it's you and me. I always told you we'd end up working together, Elliot, but I still have to know why. What did you hope to accomplish? And so this is like, hey, it's not going to be just you going forward, but I want to know why are you doing what you're doing? Right. And he says... I don't know. I wanted to save the world. Gorgeous. Just a gorgeous. gorgeous shot. Just a beautiful shot. The camera slowly pushes up on Elliot's face as he says this. Elliot's answer is just that he wants to save the world. He's trying to do this grandiose thing with this grandiose idea that it will save the world. And I think that that is, if that is truly Elliot's motivation, if in that moment he's speaking kind of the truth uh, that he doesn't really know, but he just was motivated to try to save the world. Um, then I think if they go through with the hack, we'll have to see how that plays out. Yeah, uh, so that's the end of well, not the quite episode. The end. There's a little bit of popcorn at the very end of the episode. Is, we know that the gun is in that popcorn machine, Josh. That's right. That's been stashed there. So is so. this last shot on accident? I would assume not. I think very few things on Mr. Robot seem to be on accident. Yeah, so the popcorn is popping. That There's a gun in that popcorn machine, and the last shot of the episode is Elliot stealing a glance at it. Pretty interesting stuff. Yes. Yes. Um, Makes me want to watch episode 10 right now. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think that we are going to get there very shortly. We are very close to the end of Mr. Robot season one here in our rewatch project. Um, There's really not a ton to talk about in the spoiler section. Maybe there's more than I'm giving credit for, but only one episode. So we're going to do that. That's our next thing that we're going to do here. We'll do a little bit of a preview of what's to come in the season finale. No need to listen to that if you have not watched episode 10 yet yet go watch that episode then you can maybe listen to our preview if you'd like but we will have the episode 10 podcast up for you very shortly and then we will be done with our rewatch of mr robot anything else in a spoiler free context that you want to talk about here no i don't i don't have anything else nothing else hashtag the big bank theory i, I like it i like gideon good. goodart as well yeah well that's his name so well, could... gideon goddard is his name not gideon <laughs> right. goodard you're just you're you know, that would be his name in the stanley world so, right anyway. <laughs> it really would be either one of those will work tweet that our way at ac mazzaro two z's one r is antonio i'm at round howard subscribe to what we're doing here on the mr robot podcasts on post show recaps post show recaps.com slash mr robot itunes 
please do so. Leave us your ratings, your reviews, anything you want to say. And hit us up with your feedback as well. PostShowRecaps.com slash feedback is the way to do that. We'll be back in just a second. You're hearing the music right now. We are segueing over to some spoiler talk. Talk to you all in just a second here. back we are in the spoiler section here on the mirroring episode spoiler alert spoiler alert you got a good spo- uh, you got a good spoiler josh uh the t1000 is allergic to heavy metals uh, the hot molten lead really does a number on him the aliens are allergic to water that is uh their <laughs> that's also the great twist that, that can undo all alien civilization spoiler hugh jackman is in every single x-men movie even the ones it doesn't seem like he would be in spoiler the titanic sinks at the end josh that i knew that one i already knew oh, that's history, history yes that's just historical fact uh and also a historical fact antonio that that, this is it for the spoiler section of the Mr. Robot podcast. Oh, no. This is the very spoiler. last one. Spoiler, spoiler There will alert. be no spoiler section. Yeah, I honestly, to be honest with you, I feel like there's not even a ton of spoiler material to talk through right now. I kind of just wanted to hear the spoiler music again and eulogize the spoiler section. Yeah, spoiler alert. This whole podcast has been uh, an autistic child playing with a snow globe. <laughs> oh, that's really what this is. been? Yes. <laughs> oh, we're really man. pulling back here. We're lensing, as I think uh, someone put it, maybe Sarah Koenig. Uh, we're pulling back here and seeing what's behind the curtain. That sounds right. So we're pulling back behind the curtain. Bon voyage, spoiler section of Mr. Robot podcasting here on Poster Recaps. You were very fun. You were very good to us. Some interesting conversations existed here. But we are now... About to move into territory where we do not know the future. That's both intriguing, exciting, and a little terrifying, i got to be honest with you. Yeah, I did. This, you using those exact words makes me think of something that I do want to talk about, the stuff from this episode, as we know what the rest of the season will bring with one storyline. And that's Angela's storyline. We have yeah. the, the Terry Colby, the challenge beast, to offer to her. She kind of, uh, you know, on the fence about it, maybe. She's a little bit taken aback by what he said. He doesn't necessarily seem to be on the level. Does what happens in episode 10 change your analysis of where his pitch might be coming from? Or what do you think with what, what happens with Angela in episode 10? Uh, is Terry Colby at least on the level, or is he manipulating for some reason? I think that he must be getting, you know, some good deal out of it. Um, but I mean, we get in episode 10, like there's the conversation between Angela and Philip Price where she's like asking all of the questions that people must be asking as well as like, what is she doing here? Why is this something that she is able to do? These people must know who Angela is. Why would they hire her? She asks these exact questions of Philip Price and he just like gives her kind of like a shit eating grin of an answer. Uh, so this is still very much out there. I really don't know. This storyline is not my favorite storyline that Mr. Robot has done. We're at the very beginning of it. So I have no idea where it's going, but it kind of confuses the crap out of me. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we gain any clarity from episode 10 uh, on whether or not Terry Colby's on the level with his offer or what the motivation behind his offer is. I think it's foolish. And I, I do think the Philip Price conversation you're referencing 
referencing sort of kind of doesn't dismiss the idea that there's definitely a lot more going on. He sort of laughs it off and, uh, and he's, he's definitely manipulating Angela to a degree. So I think once you accept that there's a little bit more going on or there's something more to it, then Terry Colby's probably not on the level. Uh, and he's been kind of essentially recruited to recruit Angela and that's where we're at with it. But I don't think anything from episode 10 really gives an indication as to exactly what the purpose is. Yeah, I agree with that. So that's a story that we are going to be tracking in the finale is the start of Angela's uh, time with E-Corp, Evil Corp. She is going to be one of the evil corpers. Uh, I don't evil know corpses. Evil corpses. It's an evil corpse. Yes. Yeah, well, there's an evil corpse in the finale. Oh, for boy. Sure. Yeah, well, it, it becomes uh, an evil corpse. There's a transition that occurs. Right, right, right. So we'll talk that through. There's, uh, again, talking about history. There's some history behind that as well, some really not-so-great history uh, that I'm sure will come up in our conversation about the finale. Anything else from this episode that you really want to talk through? I mean, we know that uh, Tyrell Wellick is not going to be featured again. That's what I was going to say. As far as we know, we just saw Tyrell for the last time. The big mystery of episode 10 is what is happening with Tyrell. What happened with Tyrell? Where did he go? Mr. Robot probably knows, which means Elliot knows, but Elliot is unable to unlock that memory. And if you'll recall, in the earlier heroin withdrawal kind of symptoms, hallucination sequence, Elliot saw Tyrell sitting in his apartment with a key. So Tyrell maybe is the key uh, or holds the key, and Elliot cannot unlock this memory no matter what. So it's not clear, I don't think, from anything that happens in this episode uh, where they may be or what is going on. I, I don't think that there's anything that happens with Wellick here that gives any kind of idea about what may have happened in the future. The gun in the popcorn machine is really the only thing, I think, but that doesn't come back up in the finale except that they clear that room out uh, and they're trying to get rid of all evidence and the gun is never mentioned. So right. was it still there? Was it Has it been removed by Elliot? Uh, I don't know, but I don't think there's anything that happens with this last scene of Wellick and Elliot that lends any kind of information as to where Wellick might be. Do you? Not really, unless, like, the very troubling possibility that he's dead. Yeah. You know, that he's been killed. Because of the popcorn machine glance by Elliot. Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't think that that's off the table. I mean, I think that Martin Wallstrom, the actor, is a part of season two. He's been talked about as a part of season two. I've seen him doing interviews, so I assume that Tyrell Welk will have some sort of presence. But as we've seen on this show with, you know, Elliot and the title character, Mr. Robot, being, you know, kind of an, a different aspect of your protagonist with this, uh, you know, the face of his dead father, we have very outside-the-box types of figures on the show. And I wouldn't put it past Mr. Robot Season 2 to have Tyrell Wellick be dead, but also still on the show because Elliot can see him somehow and converse with him somehow. That'd be a little disappointing just because I feel like Tyrell is on this arc. But maybe the natural conclusion of the arc that he's been on would be to get popped by the popcorn gun yes <laughs> so you know who know who knows but we don't know by the end of season one so uh you know that's going to be a big part of our conversation when we're talking about the finale i think yeah i think so and and as i said i just don't think that there are any real kind of indicators in this episode other than maybe popped by the popcorn gun as you put it that would indicate what may have happened in episode 10 i don't think there's like something that is a sneaky little introduction to oh well there's a hint here that tells you where wellick has gone maybe i'm wrong about that and see Season two will prove us wrong about that. But as far as in the context of what we know from the rest of the season in the spoiler context, I just don't think there's anything in this episode that would tie directly.
directly into where Wellick might be located. If anything, he seems to be in the dark on a lot of the details of the plan. When he says uh, who else was involved and he wants to know the details, it, I think it, it shows a relationship between Elliot and Wellick where Wellick hasn't really known what's been going on. Uh, and that, I think, just kind of goes against this idea that they were directly in league, working step by step with each other right, throughout. Right. Maybe Wellick was used and he's been set up as a patsy on the league. We don't know. But in this particular instance, I don't think anything that comes in episode 10 sheds any light on anything that we're looking at in this episode between Elliot and Wellick. Yeah, I don't think so. Really looking forward to talking through Elliot and Joanna Wellick. Oh, yeah, that'll be That's- fun. That's a hell of a scene coming up. I hope you do a good uh, Elliot impression, because my Joanna Wellick is pretty strong, I think. Oh, my God. I'm going to have to work on it between now and then. Oh, my gosh. Well, that doesn't give, uh, doesn't give <laughs> a ton of time. confidence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. Uh, anything else from this episode? No, I think that that's all. I mean, I think that this is a it, – there's it's a pretty stunning transition to the finale where we leave it, and we leave this episode with will he or won't he with the hack. And, of course, Elliot in this episode is not sure if he wants to go through through with it he's talking to darlene uh throughout and basically says like maybe we shouldn't do it maybe we should stop it uh and darlene kind of talks elliot into it and says it was you the reasons are real this is the right thing to do um you know that's the that's the last conversation elliot has with darlene at least that we know of before he executes the hack so whether or not her words sunk in or whether or not something with wellick pushed elliot to take the hack over the over the finish line i just not something that is clear from episode 10 Uh, we don't know exactly what what pushed him over the line but i do think it's interesting to see where his head is at knowing what we know which is that he's going to wake up three days are going to have passed the hack will have been executed wellick is missing and elliot would would, has not seen darlene in that time period and he executed the hack without anyone at f society so where we leave Elliot in this episode and where we end at the end of the season, there is a huge gap that forms. And that's why there's not a huge spoiler section because it's not like episode 10 sheds a ton of light on that gap. So that's a very interesting thing we'll have to talk about. And and we'll certainly plant some flags, I think, as we continue the podcast. Honestly, episode nine almost feels like a season finale. And episode 10, in a lot of ways, feels like a season premiere. Um, You know, this is really mirroring as our final pre-apocalypse episode it feels like you know this this whole world is going to change very dramatically based on the hack of evil corp and we're going to start to see that in the final episode of season one but we're going to be just like dropped in the middle of that world and it really feels like almost like kind of like an alternate reality sort of situation it feels very very jarring but i think that's the new reality of mr robot so it almost to me feels like one of the most instructive things about the season finale in watching it has to be like, this is a tone setter for where we're going in season two. Like this is the new world order. This is what we're dealing with. Concepts like F society are now like full blown concepts. As we see people marching in the streets in the finale, Um, that seems to me to be like, this is, this is the way of it moving forward. So get used to this very jarring, very, very strange world where it, I don't think it's quite as utopic as uh, as Darlene and the rest of F Society were maybe hoping for. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that that is uh, Mr. Robot was originally conceived as a screenplay. And the first season was allegedly like the first third, the first right. act, if you will. And I, I think that's a, a great observation that you're making that this 
10th episode after episode nine, episode nine is kind of the end of the first act and episode 10 is the beginning of the second. And I think that's a great way to, to kind of make a season of television. I'm not sure that people will be entirely satisfied with the finale because it does uh, leave more questions on the table than it does answer, but it is picking up these new storylines and you're right. There is a new reality uh, that is in play. And of course, on a show where you have a very unreliable reality based on the narrator, um, that's a very, very concerning, I think. That's a little questionable. And in our 10th podcast, I, I guess we're our episode 10 podcast, we will definitely talk about it. Is the, do you think this is real? Did this really happen? Is this aspect of it happening? Because I think there's some of it that really is kind of Elliot's own mind going awry. Which is interesting because, of course, in this... It doesn't seem like he has the actual superpower to just, like, blink all of the people in Times Square away. No. Like, yeah, <laughs> you, don't, you don't think? That's not something that he has developed? I mean... Maybe that's what this has been, is, like, this has been his superhero origin story, and his mutant power is finally manifested. Yeah, that would be... Uh, I'm not sure how to, I feel about that. That would be, like, the end of season one of reality. Heroes. Yeah, no, we don't want that. We don't want yeah. that. So, yeah, yeah I, I do think it's interesting. You talked about... We talked about this in the non-spoiler section, but that well, it calling Elliot the one constant in a sea of variables is great because Elliot is so variable himself and I think that episode 10 really underscores that when your constant is something that is so dynamic or so uh, changing all the time I think that that is something that uh, is hard to rely on and makes episode 10 uh, very interesting and I think makes the analysis of episode 9 the last clear chance we have to kind of look at where the pieces are on the board before everything falls apart and everything changes all right, well, let's finish up here. We are done on Mr. Robot episode nine, unless you've got anything else from a spoiler perspective. No, no, I, I think that's uh, I think that really I think sums that it about all. wraps yeah. it up. All right, so that wraps us up here. You want to go with hashtag popcorn gun? That's what that I was going to say. Yeah, hashtag popcorn gun. Hit that up to Antonio. He's at AC Mazzaro two Z's one R. I'm at Round Howard. Subscribe to what we're doing here. Postshowrecaps.com slash MR Robot iTunes or for the main feed. Postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes. Um, other than that, Bone Voyage, spoiler section, you were a great friend. We are almost done here with Robot Road. Uh, we are far from finished with Mr. Robot podcasting, but the rewatch is just one episode away from being done. Very excited to get into that with you, Tim. Yeah, I, I, I'm very excited as well, Josh. Spoiler alert, I love the spoiler section, and I'm sad to see it go. Bye-bye, spoiler section. Bye-bye, little right. Sebastian. Bye-bye, little Sebastian, and bye-bye, everybody. We will talk to you all again soon. Goodbye.